Welcome to the unofficial House of Wind book club, ran by two best friends and self-declared members of the Night Court. Today we are discussing chapters 15 and 16 of A Court of Mist and Fury. Hear me from the dark, I know you're listening from afar. Ma'am, do you remember how last week I was angry about life? Yes. Okay, got worse. Hmm. So for Christmas, James's father was really nice and sent us a gift card okay. for Amazon. And so James is like, it was addressed to both of us, so I would like to split it evenly. Amazing. Thank you, love. So I have been needing for the podcast a book stand because you use your nook to go through and like highlight and make your summaries. I brainwise cannot use a digital device for that. I have to have the physical book to do it because I like to highlight and see all the things at once. And I can flip through the podcast while we're sitting here recording. But I need a book stand to keep it open while I'm typing. because I was trying to type it and keep it open with my hands while I'm typing. It was very difficult. I got the book stand and I was so excited because on the 12th of January, it was supposed to come here. And so the 12th of January came and the package said it was delivered and we went to the post office and it is gone. It doesn't exist. It's not there. James also got an ethernet cord for his Oculus. So he was really looking forward to the package. Yeah. I was looking forward to the package to help with the podcast. Do you want to know what the Air Force post office told me? (gasps) what they tell you? We gave it to someone else. Excuse me? They gave the package away uh, and they can't find it. They won't? No. And they won't reimburse us. What? No. What? We just don't have a package. That's not okay. They, what? So I rectified it myself and I bought a, another book stand and it's real cute and helpful, but like it's not the color I wanted. It's not the style I wanted because the one I wanted came to Aviano and got given to somebody else. Okay. That's not, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. They're not going to reimburse you or anything they gave your stuff away they messed up and they're not going to do anything correct is there anyone you can like be a karen about this too because this is like i'm frustrated now this is called living in italy you know i should be more angry i really should (sighs) but i have given up hope that things will be normal here so i'm fine with it i'm not (laughs) it is what it is this is not okay you're not wrong not at all but just so the package is gone james doesn't have his ethernet cable i don't have my book thing it's just gone what the hell so i want everybody to know i lost the one bookish thing i got for christmas please tell me that yours is a little bit better my child ended a friendship your daughter ended a friendship were they really friends she's in elementary school my child is in elementary school my child is young yes and (laughs) to my knowledge Knowledge. This is like the first friend she unfriended. <laughs> so she was playing with this friend at recess and the friend kept running away from her. Okay. And so she was very hurt by this that they like she just kept taking off and running away from her. She was like, I'm done. I'm not going to be friends with someone that's going to be mean to me that way. And I was like, oh, okay. Good. Yeah, I'm glad that you have a boundary and you're not going to let someone treat you that way. Right. And I don't know why it dawned on me to ask, but I was like, um, hey, child child dear darling child of mine were you playing tag yes uh abigail yes they were they were playing tag oh so the whole point was were you it my child also yes i was like okay you realize she was supposed to run away she was like but she went so fast and i didn't want to keep being it and i was like okay well don't play that game but that's not her fault she wasn't being mean to you and she was like 
fine. And so they're friends again. If it's all fine, it's rectified. She technically did end the friendship and then was like, okay, all is forgiven. We can be friends still. But she was very <laughs> upset and ended this friendship because the child played the game the way she was supposed to play it. And my daughter didn't like being stuck as being it. Would you like to know our question of the week? Yes, please tell me. Have you ever fallen asleep in class? I'm not good at math. Oh. I'm going to say high school first and then I'll go college. High school, I did not apply myself at all. Okay. I was a, like a B and C student. I could have easily been an A student, but I just didn't care. I was a depressed teenager. It was my first class of the day. I was stupid and put math algebra as my first class of the day. Oh. And I was always exhausted in the morning. And it got to a point where my teacher just didn't wake me up anymore. She just let me sleep because I was passing the class. Yeah. But I snored. So I'm sure I was snoring super loud in this class and she just thought over it. That's hilarious. The more you think about it, the more beautiful it is. But in college, yes, the earth science class we had together. Earth science class, yeah. Do you remember me falling asleep multiple times? I do. You sat right in front of me, yeah. You had to wake me up. It's okay. I just let you know when the class was ending or if he was starting to walk around. He had the most monotonous. Oh my God, that voice. Boring voice. I have never met a man with a more no. boring voice in my entire life. And it was also at 8 a.m. Have you ever been laying in bed, like not able to sleep? On nights where I can't sleep, I lay in bed wishing I had my earth science there to try to teach me something because I'd be out in a second. Having to read the earth science textbook. Oh my God. I still have issues where like if I read, it is a comfort thing and I get sleepy. Yeah. Which is annoying when I'm trying to like get through a book, but it's nice when I need to go to sleep. I remember at that time, I used to like pull out my earth science textbook because it was so unbelievably dry. Yeah. And it worked every time. But Libby, did you ever fall asleep during that class? Because I could not have seen you. Not in earth science class because I did live on campus and earth science was across the campus. So I would have to... Lucky duck. Walk across campus. I don't... I didn't find that lucky. I really didn't. Walking <laughs> uphill across campus. In the cold. To get to earth science, to get to earth science twice a week. Not my favorite thing. In high school, however, my senior year, I did like a work study type program where I could have only four classes of day at school, but the rest of my day, like at some point I'd have to like go do a part-time job. Like that was how you could have half of your school day. Love that. But I only needed two credits by my senior year to finish high school anyway, because we were military and I went to different schools, different high schools almost every year. It added up. Right. And the different high schools had different... <laughs> year-round schedules. Usually you have eight classes a day for the year, right? Right. Those are your classes for the whole year. Well, in the school I went to in North Carolina, you had four classes a day, but it was an alternating schedule and they only lasted half a year. Oh. And so like on Mondays and Wednesdays, you would have these four classes and on like Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Fridays or something, you would have these four classes. And so I was able to like double up and I only did core classes in North Smart. Carolina so that by the time... I got to my senior year, all I had to do were electives and then I could graduate and I only needed two left. That was so smart. I was like, why am I going to fill up on electives during my school day when I could just do half a school day and then work and get paid? So that's, that's how my senior year went, which is actually how I met my husband was at my part-time job through my senior year. And <laughs> my class, my work study class was my first class of the day. 
And I worked so much at my part-time job. I was almost working full-time hours. Oh my God. So I was working almost 40 hours a week on top of going to school for, yeah, half a day. But still, that's, that's a lot. That's a long day. I mean, still, you're a teenager. Right. I'd get home from work. I'd go directly from school to work and work from like noon till like almost midnight. And then I'd go home and get up at like five or six to go to school the next day. And I was so tired by my first class that I almost every single day fell asleep in that class. And one of my coworkers was a girl in that same class. And I actually got her the job that I worked at. So she worked with me at the same place. She had the exact same schedule as me, minus different electives, but still. Right. And so (laughs) she was also tired, but our teacher didn't like her. So I would fall asleep. So would she wake her up? And she would wake her up and she'd get on to her and threaten to write her up, threaten to send her to the principal. But then she would see me sleeping and be like, oh. She works so hard, guys. Try to keep it down. And my friend, my coworker was always like, I don't get it. Like she tells us to be mindful of you so you can sleep. But then she yells at me and slams books down on my desk and makes me wake up. Did she know that you guys had the same job? Yeah, because our bosses have to give like a copy of our timesheet. Like she has to be able to check out that, yeah, we're working at whatever place. This is our boss. Like our teacher had to make sure we weren't just making this stuff up. So she knew we worked at the same place. She knew our boss was the same person and that we had these same schedules. Your teacher was playing favorite. Oh, she did. She did. I made out like a bandit in that class oh my goodness but yeah i did i slept in that class (laughs) this podcast episode contains discussion and commentary on the series a court of thorns and roses by sarah j mass we believe that our use of copyrighted materials falls under the doctrine of fair use as we are providing transformative commentary analysis and discussion for educational and entertainment purposes we respect the rights of the copyright owner and our use is in accordance with the principles of fair use under copyright law listeners are encouraged to obtain their own copy of a court of thorns and roses series by sarah j to fully enjoy and appreciate the work in its entirety. AKA don't sue us. Chapter 15. Four hours later, Favor woke. It took her a few minutes before remembering where she was. Favor was no longer tired, though. She no longer felt like she would sleep forever. She could always think of what had happened at the spring court later, or maybe tomorrow, or just never. Reese's inner circle had left, and he was waiting by the front door for her. They stepped out into the city, and Favor felt both nervous and eager to see it all. High Fay and all types of dress walked by them. Some in mortal clothing, others in riding leathers, and some in night court fashions. None of the Fae bothered to look at the house, or even towards Feyre and Rhysand. Either they didn't realize that they were amongst their high lord, or they just simply didn't care. And not in a way of disrespect, but instead in a way of comfort. Feyre could hear children playing with laughter in the streets. Down the sloped street, they could see more townhouses and unbothered people. The bottom of the street curved towards a vast, beautiful sea. The city had been untouched by any devastation for more than 5,000 years. Amarantha had never touched it. All the other parts of Prithian had been torn apart and left to slowly bleed out over the course of the last 50 years. At this thought, Vera's hands curled into fists. On the opposite side of the street, flat-topped mountains towered above the city. They felt somehow alive. Vera thought of them, similar to sleeping giants. From behind, Reese began to speak, and unintentionally scared Vera as she remembered that he had been standing there with her. He told her the middle mountain, amongst three, was his other home in the city, called the House of Wind. They would be dining there tonight, but Vera only wondered how. How had the city survived while the rest of Prithian was ravaged and destroyed? How did this city remain safe? What all Rhysand said was luck. 
How lucky he and his people must be. Favor asked if he had even thought just for a moment to offer that safety to anywhere else in the world, to anyone else. Other cities were known to the world, but Valaris had remained a secret beyond the borders of its lands for a millennia. That alone was why Amarantha did not destroy it. Neither she or its beasts even knew it had existed. Favor again wondered how. Reese had indescribably ruthless ancestors that were willing to do absolutely anything to preserve this one piece of goodness of their despicable world. Favor again spat that he hadn't bothered to open this place as a refuge for the rest of the world when Amarantha came. Reese had had very little time to make very difficult decisions. He had done his best and now just wasn't the time for that conversation. Fine. Favor wouldn't fight him now, but she also wouldn't sit around in her room dwelling in her sorrow and grief and anger and all the other darkness she had built up had still building up within her, growing to the size of this city. In cauldrons, this city was massive. They were asked, what was here in the city that was worth saving at the cost of the rest of the world? Reese's blue eyes were ruthless as the sea as he said, everything. Valaris truly had everything. There were four market squares, palaces as the dwelling citizen Fay called them, two on the southern side of the Sidra River and two on the northern. They wandered for hours and had only seen two of them. The first market was the Palace of Thread and Jewels. It sold clothes, shoes, and the supplies for making both of the former in jewelry. Reese had gone into a few jewelry shops, claiming to look for a present for a friend. Favor had waited outside, hiding in the shadows of the buildings. Walking around today was tiring enough. Favor couldn't endure any introductions, staring, tears, or cauldron forbid judgment. To face those things might drive her straight into the bed where she might never leave. Still, nobody looked her way or even Reese's way. Maybe the residents truly didn't care who was in their presence. The second market they went to was the Palace of Bone and Salt. It was filled with vendors selling meat, produce, prepared foods, livestock, spices, and so much more. Some of the spices smelled of familiar and yet forgotten memories of when her once invincible father had never ending wealth. As they walked along, Reese kept his distance and kept his hands in his pockets. Reese offered tidbits and facts and stories of the surrounding areas, although Feyre hadn't felt interested enough to ask about any of it. Feyre noticed that nobody seemed to spit on him, grab for him, put their hands on him, or alternatively, avoid him the way that the Fae under the mountain had done. Those who did notice him only offered smiles and warm greetings welcoming him back. They halted in front of a brightly decorated area of the city. Favor felt weak in front of a particular storefront, revealing art, sculptures, paint, and brushes. Reese told her that this is what the city was known for, the artist's quarter. It was known as the Rainbow of Alaris. The vast array of Fae and their artistic expressions was a sight to behold. They were artists. Favor would never call herself an artist. Favor told Reese that she was tired. She didn't care if her shields were up or down for Reese to read into her thoughts. He told her they could come back another day since it was almost time for dinner. The sun was setting and the city was stained with so many new shades of colors, but Favor didn't feel like painting any of them. The people around them enjoyed the sunset, had the freedom to do so, had the safety and the luxury to do so, and had never had to know any other feeling. This made Favor want to scream and hurt something. Favor wanted to unleash this new power growing within. She wanted to show these Fae what had been done to her and to the rest of the world while they had been living unaffected in safety. Reese whispered to her, easy. These people weren't to blame. He was right. With that, her rage had slipped and dissipated. Again, Favor told him that she was tired. They turned from the rainbow. Reese told her they could go for a walk tomorrow. The city was lovely in the day, but it was meant to be seen in the dark. Favor expected nothing less. 
but the words became too difficult. Instead, she asked who would be at the dinner they were attending, his inner circle. He wanted her to meet them before she decided if she truly wanted to stay, before she decided if she would work with him, and by default, work with them too. She had already met more, but there were three others still left. They had come by earlier in the afternoon, Cassian, Azriel, and Amran. Amran was the second in his command. Moore was the third. Amran may look Haife, but there was something different beneath her, an indescribable unknown power. Amran was older than the city, but also vain and playfully referred to as a fire drake, since she liked to hoard baubles and belongings. Reese warned her to be careful, as Feyre and Amran both had tempers when provoked. Reese told her that he is the most powerful High Lord in Prithian, and simply interrupting Amran was something he'd only done once in the past century. Favor waited for fear to sink in, but there was still nothing. She considered that it could be a mercy to be ended, but Reese gently gripped her face and looked hard into her eyes, telling her to not ever think that, not for one damned moment. For one brief second, Feyre slipped from her own mind and into Reese's. She could see how her face was sunken, cheekbones sharp, eyes dulled and lined with purple bags beneath, and collarbones sticking out. She looked starved for life and joy, as if her grief and rage had swallowed her whole. Then Feyre was back into her own mind. Reese was surprised and confused on how she got through his shield, but Feyre wasn't sure what she had done. It was as if she had just slipped. She began to storm off, but he grabbed her elbow and asked how many other mines had she accidentally slipped into. Well, there had been Lucian's. Reese laughed at that. What a miserable place that had to have been. Feyre snarled, telling him not to go into her head. But her shield had been down, so she might as well have been calling his name at him. Maybe since she had a piece of his power, maybe that was why she was able to go through his own shields, he pondered. It could have mistaken her for him. Feyre told Rhysand to take his power back. She didn't want it. It didn't work that way. It was bound to her life, and the only way to get the power back would be to kill her. Reese playfully teased that since he liked her company, he didn't feel compelled to take her up on the offer. But there were more like him out there that could easily slip into her mind and see this place that was meant to be held secret. They were called Daimati. They could walk into another's mind as if they were walking into another room. It was rare, but there was enough of them out there that it could be a threat. Encountering a Daimati without having her shields up could result in her becoming their unwitting slave without her ever realizing it. They were only thought to herself how she had yet another title for others to whisper about as she passed by. Favor realized and in anger questioned if in a potential war with Highburn, would the armies even know to attack here? Would the people here who couldn't shield their minds get his protection and not have to fight with the rest of the world as it bled? She knew this question had been a cheap shot, but inside there was only turmoil. Reese kept his distance behind for the rest of the walk up to the townhouse. A piece of favor whispered from within herself that if she could survive Amarantha, she would absolutely survive leaving Tamlin. She can survive transitioning into the new strange body she now lived in. It was the cold emptiness living within her that she wasn't sure she could survive. Even those years where she had been starving and on the brink of death held more joy and color than these days did. Maybe Amarantha had broken it. Maybe Feyre had broken it by shoving the dagger into the hearts of the innocent Fae as their blood covered her hands. Favor stood atop the townhouse's small rooftop garden and downright refused Rhysand. The stars above seemed closer and lower to the planet, pulsing in shades of ruby, amethyst, and pearl. The full moon lit up the buildings and bridges to appear as if they were all glowing from within. There was so much life around this twinkling city and she could practically taste it on her lips. 
Again, Favre said no. Reese argued his case that the House of Wind was warded against people winnowing inside, and that included high lords. The only other option would be to walk up 10,000 steps, and Reesan was not inclined to do this. So flying would have to be it. Favor frowned at the midnight blue dress made of luxurious fabric, designed with long sleeves and a plunging v-neck line, all of which would do nothing against the cold. She immediately regretted the ensemble, but worried that if his inner circle was anything like Tamlin's court, it was better to be more formally dressed. Favor made the excuse that the wind would rip the gown right off. Reese gave a tempting grin. They were opted to take the stairs. She felt the anger and welcomed it in exchange for the hours of numb nothingness she had been experiencing. Reese blocked her path with a wing. They were again made an excuse that Nuala had spent an hour on her hair, which was more of an exaggeration, but maybe it would work in her favor? Reese promised not to let the wind destroy her hair, motioning to tug on a curl, but quickly withdrawing. They were asked if they instead could just meet here, but Reese explained that they were already waiting at the House of Wind and there was more space up there for everyone. Reese wanted Favor to meet his friends on his terms, in a place that he could control the setting and the personalities and any other variables at play. Favor played into her anger, teasing that she didn't know he even had friends. Reese gave her a dark smile in response, stating that she hadn't asked. Reese swept her in, bracing her for takeoff, telling her that she could say the word and they would come back to the townhouse with no questions asked. Favor could turn down working with them and there would be no questions asked on that either. They would find another way for her to live there and be fulfilled, regardless of what was needed. It would all be at her own choosing. Favor began to plead that he please don't drop her and please don't, but he cut her off by shooting them into the sky faster than a star in flight. Reese's hands held under her knees while the others wrapped around her back and ribs as they shot up, up, up into the star-filled sky. Reese felt hard yet warm against her body. He was a solid force, crafted and meant for this. Reese mocked that he expected her to scream more, so he must not be trying hard enough. They were threatened that he had better not. Reese spoke into her ear that when he was a boy, he would sneak out of the House of Wind by jumping out of his window just to fly all night around the river, the sea, the city. He admitted that even now, some nights, he still did this. His father never knew, but some nights his mom had caught him and would scold him, but then jump right out the window with him to fly all around until dawn broke. Feyre admitted that the female sounded lovely. Reese only said that she was, and that was enough for Feyre to understand about his past without having to pry further. Once they landed, Feyre looked out to the city below and realized that she had never truly seen the size of the world. The fact that a city this large could remain hidden from Amarantha and from other courts was baffling. After moments of silence, Rhysand inquired about what Favor had been thinking. He offered for her to reveal one thing on her mind, and he would reveal one too. Favor shook her head, refusing this. Yet, Reese continued anyway, stating that he had spent 50 years trapped under the mountain and dreamt of coming back to this place. But he never truly thought he'd see it again. He wished that he had been the one to end Amarantha. He was thinking if war came, it might be a long while before he'd get to have another night like this one. Reese looked to Feyre, now expecting her to return three thoughts of her own. She asked if he thought war would be there soon, but he reminded her that this was a no-questions-asked invitation. She owed him three thoughts. She wasn't sure if it was courage or foolishness or simply the height above that persuaded her to engage Rhysand in this, but Feyre said, I'm thinking that I must have been a fool in love to allow myself to be shown so little of the spring court. I'm thinking there's a great deal of that territory that I was never allowed to see or hear about, and maybe I would have lived in ignorance forever like some pet. She began to stumble on her words and shook her head to clear it out. She continued, 
I'm thinking that I was a lonely, hopeless person and that I might have fallen in love with the first thing that showed me a hint of kindness and safety. And I'm thinking that maybe he knew that, maybe not actively, but maybe he wanted to be that person for someone. And maybe that worked for who I was before. Maybe it doesn't work for who what I am now. She began to think of how only yesterday she had been there in the spring court, but stopped herself. No, she wouldn't think of that. Not yet. Rhysian counted five thoughts, now owing her two of his own, but that would have to come later. Two winged males from earlier, grinning winged males, stood in the doorway, waiting. Chapter 14. Reese made his way over to the dining room, the two males there, but gave her the space and option to join if she wished. She reminded herself that one word to him was all she needed, and she could be back in the safety of the townhouse. The two strangers in front of her were tall and muscular. They wore plated dark leather and had identical swords strapped down their spines beautifully simple blades. Feyre realized that she probably didn't need to dress up as much as she had. The taller of the two laughed and said, come on, Feyre, we don't bite unless you ask us to. Feyre was surprised at the comment, but Reese only said, the last I heard, Cassian, no one is ever taking you up on that offer. The other male laughed, but Feyre wondered why nobody had taken him up on that offer, because Illyrian people must be blessed with unnaturally good looks. Like Reese, they were dark-haired and tan skin, but their eyes were so unlike the High Lords, instead a hazel color. Cassian looked over at Reese and noted how fancy he was dressed, and that Reese had made poor Feyre dress up too, with a wink in her direction. There was something wild about Cassian's features, like he was made from nature himself, full of fire, wind, and earth. The other male was the more classically beautiful of the two, but completely unreadable. He would be the one to look out for, the knife in the dark, just like the black hunting knife sheathed at his thigh, full of runes Feyre had never seen before. Reese introduced a second. This is Azriel, my spy master. Favor wasn't a bit surprised, but did check to make sure her mental shields were intact, almost on instinct. Azrael welcomed her and extended a hand towards her. Though the shape of his hand was normal, the skin. It was brutally scarred by what must have been burned so horrific that even his immortal blood hadn't been able to heal them. A leather plate of armor covered most of his hand, held by a loop around his finger. Feyre noted that it wasn't to hide the scarred hand, but instead to hold the cobalt stone matching the one on his left. They were identical to the red stones on Cassian. Azriel's hands were as cold as his face. Feyre noted the comment that Cassian had said earlier. So fancy tonight, brother. Angie made poor Feyre dress up too. Your brothers? She asked Reese. Yes, the Illyrians looked alike, but the same way that people looked alike who were from the same land. Brothers in the same sense that all bastards are brothers of sort. Farrah looked towards Cassian and asked who he was. He nonchalantly noted that he was the commander of Reese's armies. Armies. Entire armies. Reese controlled armies, and the thought alone made Feyre shift on her feet. Cassian also excels at pissing everybody off, especially amongst our friends. So, as a friend of Rhysand, good luck, noted Asriel. He had called her friend of Rhysand, not the savior of their land or a murderer or a human fairy thing. Was it possible they didn't actually know who she was? Cassian nudged Asriel out of the way to get closer to Feyre, and all hope of that animosity was lost when he asked how the hell Feyre made a bone ladder in the Mingard Worm's lair when it looked like her own bones could have snapped at any moment. Feyre met Cassian's stare, and though it might have made her a bitch, she said, how the hell did you manage to survive this long without anybody killing you? She braced herself, but instead found Cassian with a tipped back head laughing. Even Asriel and his shadow seemed to glimmer with humor. Farah tried not to tense at the spy master in his shadows. She'd ask Reese about him later. Reese wasn't smiling, though. 
his eyes were wary and assessing the interactions between them. As before, with her perfect timing, Moore walked in. If Cassian's howling, I hope it means Feyre told him to shut his fat mouth. Both the Illyrians faced towards her, Cassian in a fighting stance, but Asriel. His shadows lightened as his gaze slid to Moore's red gown-clad body. Asriel's eyes shot to Feyre, noticing the change in his demeanor, but Feyre looked away, pretending not to notice. Cassian joked that he didn't know how he had ever forgotten that Moore and Reese were related, as they both had an affinity for fancy clothes. Moore bowed toward Cassian, and Feyre tried not to feel too relieved that she wouldn't be the only one overdressed at dinner. Moore noted that she had wanted to impress Feyre, and the least Cassian could have done was brush his hair. Cassian bit back that unlike some people, he had better things to do with this time than sit in front of a mirror for hours. Moore tried to insult him back, but Azrael warned them both that they had company. Moore patted Azrael on the shoulder and told him to relax. There would be no fighting tonight, just as they had promised Reese. Moore mentioned towards Feyre and asked her to come sit with her while the boys drank. Feyre obliged and walked forward while the three men stayed a few feet back. Unless you'd rather drink, Moore said as they walked into the dining room, but I want you all to myself before Amran hogs you. As if on cue, the doors to the dining room opened on their own. In walked a short, fragile-looking woman who looked like Haifei, but whatever human part of favor remained was screaming at her to run and hide, just like Reese had said she'd feel. Amron was much shorter than her, with black hair cut off at her chin, tan skin, and a face that bordered on plain. But it was her eyes that set her apart, silver like nothing Feyre had seen before, swirling like smoke under a glass. She wore a matching set of clothes like the ones Feyre had worn at the other palace, but ears, fingers, and wrists were covered with pearls. The power coming from her put even Reese's to shame. Moore groaned at her entrance and slumped down into a chair and poured herself a glass of wine. Cassian sat directly across from her and reached out for the wine bottle. Reese and Azrael remained standing watching as Amarantha made her way towards Feyre. Amaranth turned to Reese and told him that his taste remained excellent and thanked him, showing off the silver and pearl brooch pinned to her chest. That was the jewelry that Reese had bought in Valaris, the one that Feyre was told to never under any circumstances steal. Reese waved a hand and bowed his head. It suits you, Amaranth. Amaranth only said that everything suited her and looked towards Feyre again. She took a small step closer to her and sniffed. Even though Amaranth was shorter than her, Feyre had never smelt smaller in her entire life. She didn't know why, but she did. So, there are two of us now, Amran said. Feyre arched her brows in confusion. We, who were born something else, and found ourselves trapped into a new, strange bodies. In that moment, Feyre decided she really didn't want to know what Amran was before. Amran gestured for Feyre to take the chair next to Moore, and then took the seat across from her, Azrael sitting next to her, and Reese took the seat next to Feyre. Amran noted that there was a third, named Miriam, that she wasn't sure Reese had heard from in centuries. Interesting, she continued. Cassian rolled his eyes and told her to get to the point because he was hungry. At that, Moore choked on her wine, and Amran glared at Cassian. Azrael monitored the situation intently. Cassian told Amran that she knew he was happy to tingle in the sheets with her, and that he he knew how much she enjoyed Illyrian. Miriam and Draken are doing well as far as I've heard, and what exactly is interesting, Reese cut in. Amran's eyes settled on Feyre, studying her. Only once before was a human made into an immortal. Interesting that it should happen again, right as all the ancient players have returned. But Miriam was gifted a long life, not a new body. And you, girl, your very blood, your veins, your bones were made. A mortal soul in an immortal body. Moore only said that she was hungry and nudged Pharaoh with her thigh. Moore snapped her fingers and plates full of food appeared. Nothing fancy, but it was elegant, not formal at all. 
Moore said that Reese and Amron could talk all night and bore them to tears, so they might as well eat now. She continued saying that she had asked Reese if she could have taken Feyre to dinner, just the two of them, but Reese said Feyre wouldn't have wanted to. Moore asked Feyre if she would rather have spent her time with two ancient boars or with her. Reese tried to bite back, saying that for somebody that was the same age as him, she seemed to forget, but Moore interrupted. Everybody wants to talk, talk, talk. Can't we eat, 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 and then talk? It was interesting to see the difference between Reese's scary second and his insane happy third. Since Moore's rank was higher than the warriors at the table, there had to be a reason besides her irresistible charm. Azrael laughed at Moore, but picked up his fork. Favorite waited until he had taken a bite to eat a bite herself, and then the wine. Wine she didn't realize Moore had poured for her realized was safe too. Moore told Feyre to not let the old busybodies boss her around, but Cassian said, pot, kettle, black. He turned back to Amran and noted that he forgot how bizarre that is. That being the fact that Amran had not touched the food on her plate. He grabbed Amran's food and dumped half onto his own plate and then passed the rest to Azrael. As if in an apology, Azrael said to Amran that he keeps telling Cassian to ask before taking her plate. But Amran only replied that if Azrael hasn't been able to train Cassian after all these years, boy, I don't think you'll make any progress now. You don't eat? Feyre asked Amran. Not this sort of food, she said. Cauldron, boil me, said Morg. Can we not? Feyre decided that she suddenly didn't want to know what Amran ate. Reese only laughed and said to remind him to have family dinners more often. Family dinner, not court gatherings for official business, which meant the group either didn't know that she was there to decide if she wanted to work with them or didn't feel like faking it and being anything but themselves, showing it and wearing whatever they wanted. Feyre noted that she could have even worn her nightgown and they wouldn't have batted an eye. It was an interesting bunch, but against Highburn, she wondered what their combined powers could do, how they would aid as allies or as opponents. Azrael remained quiet and Feyre found herself yet again staring at the oval stone on his gauntlet. He held up his hands so Feyre could see them better and explained that they were called siphons. They concentrated and focused their power in battles. Feyre noted that only he and Cassian wore them. Reese explained that the power of the Illyrians tended towards, quote, incinerating now and asking questions later, end quote. They had no magical powers outside their killing ones. The gift of violent, warmongering people, Amran furthered. Reese continued to explain that the Illyrian people bred the power to be as strong as possible in battle. The siphons filtered the raw power and allowed them to transform it into something more subtle and varied, to become a shield and weapons and arrows and spears. He compared it to the difference between throwing a bucket of paint against the wall and using a brush. The siphons allowed precision on the battlefield, and without them, the outcome would be detrimental in close fighting quarters. Cassian noted that it didn't hurt that they also looked good. Amran only muttered Illyrians. Cassian smiled at that and took a drink of his wine. Feyre tried to imagine getting to know them and work with them if things with Highburn continued downhill. She looked to Azrael again and tried to come up with something to say. How did you, I mean, how did you and Lord Cassian? Cassian spit out his wine and laughed, covering more with wine in the process. Even Azrael was smiling. Embarrassment stung Feyre's cheeks. Reese explained that Cassian was not a lord, though Reese was sure that Cassian appreciated her thinking he was. He continued saying that neither was Azrael or Amran. Only more was a pure-breaded titled person in the room not him. He must have read her mind or understood the look on her face because he said that he was half Illyrian, which meant he was as good as a bastard where the thoroughbred high fae were concerned. Feyre questioned the three males. They weren't high fae? Cassian said they were certainly not and glad for it. They also weren't considered lesser fairies either, though some tried to tell them that. They were simply Illyrian, a breed of their own and considered as expendable aerial cavalry for the night court at best and mindless soldier grunts at worst. Feyre stated that she had not seen them under the mountain, and then the room became silent. 
Moore was the one to finally speak and said it's because none of them were there. Reese's face went cold as he explained that Amarantha hadn't known that any of them existed. And if someone tried to tell her about them, they found themselves without a mind to be able to tell her. They were shuddered. You truly kept this city and all these people hidden from her for 50 years? Cassian was staring down at his plate. Amarin stated that they would continue to keep this city and their people hidden from their enemies for even longer. Nobody answered. Favor realized that Reese didn't think he was ever going to see them again when he had been taken under the mountain. And even then he kept them safe. It must have almost killed them, his inner circle now around the table. But Reese had done it. Moore continued to say there wasn't one person in the city who was unaware of what went on outside the borders or what the cost was. The price of what they had had to pay was evident in the pain-filled silence of the room. These people lived through the pain and still laughed. Faye returned to Azrael, the safest looking in the room at the moment, and asked how they had all met. An easy question to get to know them, right? Azrael turned to look at Cassian, who was looking at Reese with both pain and love evident on his face. Emotion so raw that instinct had Feyre wanting to reach across the table to hold his hand. It took Cassian a second to register what question Feyre had asked, and the silent invitation from Azrael for his friend to tell the story instead of himself. So Cassian did. The three had hated each other at first. Azrael and Cassian were actually bastards. While they loved their people, the Illyrians lived up in the mountains of the north and didn't like outsiders, including the High Fae who would try to tell them what to do. But they were just as obsessed with lineage as the High Fae. The Illyrians even had their own princes and lords. As, Cassian continued, was the bastard of one of the local lords. As for him, if Feyre thought that the bastard son of a lord was hated, imagine how hated the son of a war camp laundress and a warrior she couldn't or wouldn't remember was hated. As was sent to the war camp for training after his father realized he was a shadow singer. Whatever that title was, it sure fit the man wrapped in shadows in front of her. Just like the Dimati, shadow singers are very rare and coveted by people across the world for their abilities. Cassian continued explaining that the camp lords basically shit himself with excitement the day As was dumped at his camp. Cassian, on the other hand, whenever he was from his mother and able to walk, he was flown to the distant camp and thrown into the mud to see whether he would live or die. Moore noted that they would have been smarter throwing him off the cliff, and Cassian agreed, especially because when he was old and strong enough to go back to the camp he was born in, he'd learned the men of the camp had worked his mother until she had died. A different kind of silence fell over the room, full of tension and anger from a group of people who had made it through so much and felt each other's pain deeply. Reese cut in, saying that the Illyrians were unparalleled warriors and are rich with stories and traditions, but were also brutal and backwards, especially in regards to how they treated their females. The light left Azrael's eyes as he stared out the window behind Feyre. Amran called the Illyrians barbarians, and neither of the three men disagreed. She said that they crippled their females so that they could keep them for breeding more flawless warriors. Reese cringed and continued explaining. His own mother was a lowborn and had worked as a seamstress in one of the military mountain war camps. When women came of age in the camps, as in when they got their first bleeding, their wings were clipped. It was a simple incision at the right place that when left to improperly heal would cripple them forever. His mother, who was a gentle but wild woman who loved to fly, did everything in her power to keep from maturing. She would starve herself and gather illegal herbs to try to stop the natural course of her body, but she had turned 18 without bleeding, which had mortified her parents. Eventually, her bleeding came, and it only took one person at the wrong place in the wrong time to notify the camp's lord. She tried to flee, well, fly, but she was young and the warriors were faster. They caught her and dragged her back to the camps. They were about to tie her to the posts at the center of the camp when Reese's dad had winnowed in for a meeting with the camp's lord. His dad saw his mom fighting for her life, and the mating bond between them clicked. 
One look at his mother and his father knew what she was, so he misted the guards holding her. Feyre looked at him with confusion. Misted? A wicked laugh came from Cassian as Reese floated the lemon wedge from his plate into the air above the table. A flick of his finger and the lemon became a citrus-scented mist. Reese continued explaining that once her mother saw her father, she knew. His father took her back to the night court and married her. His mom loved her people, but never forgot what they had tried to do to her and all the females. His mom tried for decades to have her husband ban the wing cutting, but since war was coming, he didn't want to do anything to upset the Illyrians when he needed them to lead his armies. A real prize, your father, Moore mumbled. Reese countered, at least he liked you, to Moore, before continuing. Even though his mother and father were mates, they were wrong for each other. His father was cold, calculating, and at times vicious, but his mother was soft and fiery and beloved by everyone she met. When Reese was born and could summon his wings whenever he wished, she wanted her son to know her people. Moore countered with the fact that his mom wanted to keep Reese out of his father's claws, and Reese agreed. Whenever he had turned eight, he was sent to an Illyrian war camp to be trained, as all Illyrian boys were trained. And just like all the other mothers, she shoved him into the sparring ring on the first day and never looked back. They were asked if his mother had abandoned him, but he fiercely responded with no, never. His mother stayed at the camp with him, but it was considered embarrassing for a mom to coddle her son when he was to train. Reese was terrified. He'd been training his powers, but Illyrian magic was only a fraction of it. The powers were rare among them. He tried to use a siphon during those years, but after shattering over a dozen of them, he realized his power was not compatible. So difficult being such a powerful high lord, Moore teased at him, inciting an eye roll. Reese explained that the camp lord even forbid him from using his magic for everyone's sake. Reese had no idea how to fight when he went into the training ring on the first day, and all the other boys knew it. Especially especially a specific boy who took one look at him before beating him to a pulp. But you were so clean, the pretty half-breed son of the High Lord. How fancy you were in your new training clothes, Cassian said with a shake of his head. Azrael explained that Cassian had to resort to getting new clothes over the years by challenging other boys to fight, the prize being the clothes off their back. His voice held no pride for his people, but Cassian laughed. Feyre looked at Cassian, really looked at him. She'd never met anybody else in Perinthian that knew what starvation was like, but Cassian's gaze held the words, you know what it's like, you know what a market leaves. Cassian had already beaten every boy in his year twice already, and when the new, clean, different-smelling boy arrived, Cassian attacked. The boys received three lashings for the fight. Feyre flinched. They whipped children. Amran said that they did worse in those camps and that three lashings was practically an encouragement to fight again. Bones broke when they did something truly bad, repeatedly, over weeks. Favor couldn't believe that Reese's mom willingly sent him into that, but Reese countered that his mother didn't want him to rely on his powers when all hell broke loose. She wanted him to have multiple tools in his kit. When one failed, another could rescue him. His education was yet another weapon and was the reason she went to the camp with him in the first place. She tutored him after his lessons every day. After his first day, when she had taken him to their new home and sat him down by the window to read, that's when he saw Cassian walking through the mud towards a set of dilapidated tents. He asked his mother where Cassian was going, and she told him that bastard sons were given nothing, and they had to find their own shelter and food. If they survived to be picked up to serve in a war band, they would remain at the bottom of rank forever, but at least given food and supplies. Until then, Cassian was to stay in the brutal cold. Reese's mother cleaned his lashings after his lesson, and that was the first time Reese knew what a gift it was to be warm, safe, and cared for. Knowing Cassian had received the same rubbed him raw. That night, in the middle of the night, Reese woke Cassian up in his piss-poor tent and told him to keep his mouth shut and to follow him. Cassian said that maybe it was the cold that made him stupid, but he followed. Reese's mother was livid, but Cassian would never forget the look on the beautiful woman's face when she saw him and told him that there was a bathtub with hot running water. To get in, 
or go back out into the cold. She had a clean set of clothes laid out for him after the bath and set him off to bed. Cassian had only ever slept out in the cold on the ground, and when he was nervous, she said she understood because she had felt the same way once. She said sleeping on a bed would make him feel as if he was being swallowed up, but the bed was his for as long as he wanted it. Feyre asked if they were friends after that, and Reese said no, Cauldron no. They hated each other, and only behaved because if they fought or got in trouble, neither of them got dinner. His mother even started tutoring Cassian, but it wasn't until Azrael arrived a year later that they decided to be friends. A new bastard in the camp, and an untrained shadow singer to boot. Not to mention he couldn't even fly thanks to stay on track, Cassian, more urged. The warmth that was once on Azrael his face had vanished. Cassian continued saying that both Reese and him made Az's life a living hell, regardless of the fact he was a shadow singer. Reese's mom knew Az's, so she took him in. As the three grew older, they realized that it would be smarter for their survival to stick together, since everybody at the camp hated them. Feyre asked if Cassian had any gifts like the other two, but he answered that he didn't, besides a shit ton of killing power. Even without the additional power, the other boys knew the three were different. They were stronger and faster, and felt the cauldron knew that they had been set apart and wanted them to find each other. Reese's mom knew it too, especially when they reached maturity and only wanted to fuck and fight. Amron noted that men were horrible creatures and more agreed. Some small, somehow surviving part of Feyre's heart wanted to laugh at that comment. Cassian only shrugged and continued. He said that Reese's power grew daily and everybody knew he could mist everything if he wanted to, and Az and him weren't far behind. He tapped the siphons and said that a bastard Illyrian had never received one ever. Since he and Az had been appointed one, every warrior in the mountains had begun sizing them up. Only purebred Illyrians were to get siphons. As cut in. Then the war came, and Reese's father visited our war camp to see how his son had fared after 20 years. Reese swirled his wine and said, My father saw that his son had not only started to rival him for power, but had allied himself with perhaps the two strongest Illyrians in history. He got it in his head that if we were given a legion in the war, we might very well turn it against him when we returned. Cassian explained that Reese's prick of a father had separated them. He gave Reese command of a legion of Illyrians who hated him for being a half-breed and threw Cassian into a different legion to be a common foot soldier, even though his powers outranked any of the war leaders, as Reese's father kept for himself for spying and dirty work. They only saw each other on the battlefield for seven years as the war raged on. Cassian would read each of the casualty lists looking for his brother's name. But then when Reese got captured, Reese cut in saying that that was a tale for another day. He said that once he became High Lord, he appointed the four in front of them to be his inner circle and told the rest of his father's court that if they had a problem with his friends, they could leave. And they all did. Apparently having a half-breed High Lord was made worse by appointing two females and two Illyrian bastards. Feyre asked what happened to them and Reese explained that the nobility of the night court fell into three different categories. Those who hated him enough that when Amarantha came, they joined her only to later die. Those who hated him enough to try to overthrow him and faced the consequences. And those who hated him, but not enough to be stupid and have since tolerated his rule. Those are the ones who live beneath a mountain in a place called the Hewn City. He gave it to them for not being fools and they're happy to stay there, ruling themselves and being as evil as they pleased for all eternity. That had to be the place that he'd shown Amarantha, the court of nightmares, Moore said. Feyre asked what this court was called then. It was Cassian who said, the court of dreams. The dreams of a half-bred high lord, two bastard warriors, and the two women. She looked towards them and said, and you? Reese had offered to make her a second, and since nobody had ever asked her before, she agreed to see what it was like. She said she found she enjoyed it. Moore followed up saying that she was a dreamer, born into the court of nightmares. So she got out. What's your story then? Cassian asked Vera. She assumed Reese had told them everything, 
but he only shrugged when she looked his way. She told them her story, and silence fell again when she finished. Feyre noted that Az never told his story, but maybe it was something they never talked about. Cassian finally asked Feyre that since she taught herself how to hunt, what about fighting? Feyre shook her head no, and Cassian said, Lucky for you, you've just found yourself a new teacher. Feyre was going to try to argue it, but remembered Reese's mom had given him multiple weapons to fight in case one failed, and she would not be weak again. You don't think it sends a bad message if people are seeing me learning to fight using weapons? The moment the words left her lips, she realized how stupid it sounded. How stupid the words from Ianthe and Tamlin were. Moore's venom-filled voice said, Let me tell you two things, as somebody who has perhaps been in your shoes before. One, you have left the spring court. That does not send a message for good or for bad, then your training will not either. Two, I once lived in a place where the opinions of others mattered. It suffocated me and nearly broke me. So, you'll understand me, Feyre, when I say that I know what you feel, and I know what they had tried to do to you. And with enough courage, you can say to hell with a reputation. Her voice was gentle as she finished with, you do what you love, what you need. Moore was the opposite of Ianthe. She wouldn't tell Feyre what to wear or allow somebody to speak for her. Feyre had never had a female friend before Ianthe, but in that moment she realized Ianthe had never been her friend. As Feyre looked at Moore, she couldn't explain it or understand why, but she felt it. Moore could be her friend. Not that she had much to give back to her in return. Feyre took in everything that had been said to her that night. Reese had been smart to bring her here and let her decide if she could handle those around her. A group of teasing and intensity and power. I'll think about it, Feyre finally said, gazing at Cassian. Through the bond, she could feel what she swore was a pleased surprise. So Feyre said to Resand, I accept your offer to work with you, to earn my keep, and to help with Highburn in whatever way I can. Good, he simply replied. But the other's eyebrows raised, and Feyre now knew that they didn't have any idea that this was an interview of sorts. Because we start tomorrow. Where and what? Favor questioned quickly. Rhysand rested his hands on the table, and Favor knew there was another point to this dinner besides her decision to work with them. Because the King of Highburn is indeed about to launch a war and wants to resurrect Jurian to do it. Jurian, the ancient warrior that Amaranth had kept in a ring for killing her sister. Moore groaned. Why would the king want to resurrect Jurian? He was so odious, and all he liked to do was talk about himself. It then hit Feyre that these people around her were there for the war. They'd all fought in it five hundred years ago. Reese said that the question is exactly what he wanted to find out, and how the king planned to do it. Amor noted that word would have reached the king about Feyre's making, and he would know it's possible for the dead to be remade. Moore tried to counter that all seven lords would have to agree to it, but there's no chance in hell that would happen. He'd have to find another way. She asked Reese if he thought all the slaughtering and massacres at the temples were tied to this. Reese said he knew it was, that he didn't want to tell them until he knew for sure. As had confirmed it. As had confirmed they'd raided the memorial in San Gravat three days ago looking for something, or had found something. Feyre wondered aloud if that's why the ring and finger bone had vanished when Amarantha had died. She asked if they'd ever caught the adder. All too quietly, Reese replied, no. No, they hadn't. And then he asked Amran how somebody would take an eye and a finger bone and make a man whole again, and how they could stop it. You already know how to find the answer. Go to the prison. Talk to the bone carver. Shit. Breathed more and Cassie at the same time. Reese said maybe Amran would be more effective, but she countered that she wouldn't even set foot in the prison and he knew it. He was to go himself or send somebody to go for him. Asriel offered, saying the prison knew what he was, and Favor wondered if the Shadow Singer was normally the first to volunteer himself to save his High Lord. Moore was about to speak, but Reese said if anybody was going to go, it was going to be him and Feyre. Moore was livid, but Amran explained that he wouldn't talk to Reese, as or any of them, since they had nothing to offer 
offer him, but an immortal with a mortal soul? The bone carver might be willing to talk to her. Everybody then stared at her as if they thought she would back out and run. It was their own quick way of an interview to see if she was strong enough. She felt none of the fear she expected to. Maybe all the monsters she'd faced in the last few months had taken whatever fear she once had. Maybe fear was something she only felt in her dreams now. Rhysian reminded her it was her choice, not his. How bad can it be? She responded. Bad, Cassian said, and no one dared to disagree. I like these people. Sorry, I'm just recovering from the dump that those two chapters just gave. So remember when we said Alice threw up? <laughs> we were so naive. The entire inner circle threw up for 30 plus pages and five hours of my day. My eyes feel tired and I didn't even just read that summary or that chapter right now. Let's see how many words it was, friend. Oh, 5,991 words. <laughs> that is a summary of the chapter. <laughs> summary. The abbreviated version. Good God. That's so many pages. <laughs> Holy cannoli. Okay. Thoughts and feelings, friend? I don't know where to start. You know what? Yes, I do. Major rewind. As quickly as possible, I there will. There's so many pages, Libby. I will try to organize my thoughts and feelings. All right, let's jump in, Abigail. They've arrived. They're in Belarus right away. Feyre, we start with she went for her nappity nap and she got up. God bless. Four hours later, I'm talking refreshed girl, ready to take on the city in a way, in so many words. They head out, and all throughout their exploration, Farrah's just, like, ready to fight. Which I think, for someone who's been absolutely depressed and feeling nothing, just absolute numbness, if anger is the only feeling she has right now, honestly, at least it's something. It's better than nothing. That's what I was thinking. It's not my favorite thing. She needs to feel, so... And I think Reese knows that, because he's not shaming her. He's not mad at her. He's not arguing it with her. He even, like tries to calm her like hey these people are blameless like he's not telling her she's wrong or she doesn't have a right to be mad but trying to at least remind her let's direct your anger at not the innocent people which can you blame her when her only example has been tamlin who only directs his anger at all the wrong people tamlin has the emotional maturity of a two-year-old yeah the minute he is dysregulated it's an immediate fight it's an immediate outburst of uh, emotion because he doesn't know how to control it yes reese on the other hand very much knows how to control his emotions yes and he's like hey real quick calm down yeah like it's not their fault and um, she said it was almost like a spark went out she immediately realized oh he's not wrong it's not their fault thank god she's not a fucking two-year-old like tamlin and can admit that oh he's right my feelings are misplaced right now god finally she still has them she still has this anger she's like in her mind saying you know these are cheap shots that i'm making because it makes sense i get it reese even says he had a very short amount of time to make some very big decisions nobody's gonna make perfect choices and I think that's something I love about SJM bestie is that we are learning all of her characters are not perfect people. I was supposed to say none of them. Right. They're not always the hero. Even Feyre has made choices or done things that you're like, oh, Feyre, come on. Or Tamlin, obviously. Lucian. We love Lucian, but he hasn't been amazing this book. Nah. There's plenty of places these characters could grow and make better choices from. But that's what makes it so relatable. If all of these people were just these heroes or if there was just this perfect person, would we really feel so attached and so 
comforted by these books that would they really no. feel that relatable exactly so i told you my favorite part of these books is even in the darkest of places you can still relate to these characters yes even when they're at the worst moments you're like got it yeah understood felt that i get it I'm right there with him. Yes. I understand why Feyre is thinking this way and feeling this way, but I'm also really proud that she's not acting on it. And I'm glad that Reese is there to kind of be a guiding light, I want to say. Mm-hmm. A safe place, a, a solid grounding duel. So they explore Belarus. They check out some clothes and some jewelry and some meats. She gets a shopping trip. Welcome. Right. You were stuck in a house and now you're shopping. Now she's all over the place. She's just exploring. And I think I like that I don't know if Feyre picks up on it, but I think I like that Rhysand is keeping his distance and keeping like his hands in his pockets. He's not like crowding her. He's not making her feel like she's got to be watched over. He's giving her the space to wander and to take it all in and to feel. And it's not like Tamlin who's always like, you've got to have people guarding and watching you. You've got to be safe. You got to be like surrounded by safety. She's being given the space. To me, it feels like he's showing her the city, not protecting her through it. No, and I like that even when she gets really uncomfortable in the artist quarter, he's like, we'll come back. Yeah, it's like it doesn't have to all be done in one day. I tell that to my kid though. When my child is like, I'm not ready to go or I want to do all these things or she's getting overwhelmed. I'm just like, hey, we can come back. This doesn't have to be the end. Like this isn't all or nothing right now. Like we can come back. It's going to be okay. And I know that my child is in elementary school and Fair is an adult, but there's something very calming about being told this is not a finality. I just had a realization. Fair gets triggered by the artist quarter. Yeah. And that's what causes her to start to the people because they're doing something she once wanted yeah i didn't put that together while i was reading it and now that that makes so much sense she even says these people are artists i could never Mm -hmm. be an artist like i could never call myself that oh that's my favorite quote oh is it hey yeah it says page 147 it says artists i'd never called myself an artist Never thought that far or that grandly, but where all that color and light and texture had once dwelled, there was only a filthy prison cell. I thought that was just good writing. Good job, bestie. It was. It was very well described. I appreciated that. Yeah, it triggers her. And (laughs) then he's like, so we're going to dinner. We're going to go eat some dinner, which... Can I just say, this felt a little playful and steamy in a way. A little bit. Bear is over here talking about how, like, he's, like, hard and chiseled and like like oh my gosh and you're like whoa Farah, hey <clears throat> like whoa and that he's built he's built for this and then he kind of opens up like when he's talking to her about like his mom and how he'd go flying as a boy and it's just like mm-hmm. feels very intimate like he's really letting her in and really trying to give her glimpses of who he is while they're talking he's saying that his mom would jump out after scolding him for like sneaking out and like jump out with him and go flying all night and Feyre is saying she sounds like such a wonderful woman like she was such a wonderful female and he just says like she was and it's just oh we learn right away like it's all it took was that he lost his mom and it kind of feels like peeling back layers we're opening up windows and getting to like view in and peer in and see who Reese is and what makes him the way he is and it's eye-opening because Tamlin is constantly throwing that he lost his family in Pharaoh's face and that's why he gets to act what he does and here we learn Reese has also lost his mom who he clearly cherished and valued and never once has that come up or been used as an excuse or a justification no to treat her poorly Libby I need to back up 
I need to back up a couple pages. Oh, back it on up. All right. I have another favorite quote. Okay. From this section. Mm-hmm. When Feyre says, I waited for fear to hit, waited for my body to shriek to find a way to get out of this dinner, but nothing. Maybe it'd be a mercy to be ended. And he goes, don't you ever think that. Not for one damn moment. Oh! It made me emotional. Yeah. This is another thing. He lets her see herself through his eyes and how frail and skinny. He doesn't let her though. She like trips into that. He's like, how did you do that? They're both shocked. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, she seeps through just like she did with Lucian. She slips right in. Which brings me to one of my favorite moments is when he's like laughing. He's like, what a miserable place to be. Like that was fucking hilarious. That was good. Because it hasn't happened before. Yeah, he's like, oh, Lucian's. Ew. <laughs> Lucian, gross. My favorite quote is right as she looks at herself. She said, I looked as if, as if rage and grief and despair had eaten me alive, as if I was again starved, not for food, but for joy in life. Girl, that's called depression. Uh, we know that now, but y'all don't have therapy there, so. Depressy spaghetti, yeah, or whatever. Anyway. Yeah, depressy and stressy. Chapter 15 was filled with some really good quotes. I really liked how after fast forwarding back, going right back closer to the end of the chapter, when they land on the balcony and she's just looking over everything and realizing she has seen so little of the world and they're doing the thought for thought which how sweet is that my new favorite thing oh i love this game when he said that i was like how respectful is he she clearly wasn't comfortable doing this at first she was like no no no, no. and so he was like all right let me offer it to you let me lay it all out there show you that i can do this too you're not being set up you're not being tricked this isn't a trap this is mm-hmm. an opportunity so he lays it out there and is telling Feyre, you know, I know that it'll be a long time before I get to have another night like this, which to me, this is something he clearly values to know that he's having this night, this dinner with his court and that she's there. And it's like, that's got to mean something. Yeah, that she's there. She's like, it's the the sun is setting. It's beautiful. It's nighttime. She sees all the stars. It's got to be such like a romantic little little thing. And Feyre's there and he's like, I get to do this. And he, I mean, he has his trauma. So he's like, I was just under a mountain, stuck and never thought I'd fly again and now I'm taking this hot woman to go meet my friends like are you kidding I don't think she realizes what this means to him I think as the reader it's easy to see no getting to be with his court he again he never thought would happen but now getting to be there with his court with Feyre in the night court this is something he was like I didn't think this could ever happen and I don't know if it'll ever happen again but heaven you could tell it means that much to him right and then I can't really say I have like one favorite quote it's like the majority of when Feyre is giving her thoughts and she's saying that like she thought she was a fool to allow herself to see so little of the spring court and that she was never allowed to see or know so much about that territory that she would have continued to live in this ignorance like she's only been in the night court for like what a day and she's already realizing this and she has learned so much yes it's like she's gotten her eyes open to so much in such a short amount of time she's realizing that like she says she was a lonely hopeless person my nook says 25% in it only took one and a quarter of a book for her to realize she got there that she was lonely and as she says i might have fallen in love with the first thing that showed me a hint of kindness and safety i'm thinking maybe he knew that maybe not actively but maybe he wanted to be that person for someone and maybe that worked for who i was before maybe it doesn't work for who what i am now i don't care what you call that monologue quote whatever that hits 
home so much. Her finally having her eyes open and realizing like he hurt me and he knew that I needed this and he, whether he meant to or not, he became that person or made me think I was that person and gave me the things I thought I wanted, but it's not really what I wanted. But I don't know what I want. Uh Exactly. And she's just like, you see the facade, the illusion has gone. The fog is starting to clear up and she's finally seeing the truth. And ah, that... That will never not be a favorite moment for me. The throw up. (laughs) The freaking dumpster fire of information. Okay, the entire group just got stomach poisoning. Goodness. The entire group just decided it was time to throw up all the information that's ever existed in the entire world. Back to back to back. In one chapter. Yes, everything all at once. I mean, I know why, but but why? It was a lot. I felt very overwhelmed. (sighs) Um, I get that all this information had to come out because of course it did. We We need to know these things. Yes. I'm gonna boil it down to... There's three boys, two girls, and the three boys are all Illyrians and they're all bastards and they are brothers, but not actually brothers. Mm -hmm. And they hated each other at first, but now they're besties. Yes. And then the two girls, the two girls, Moore is the only one that's high fae, has any bloodline or any title. Mm -hmm. She was born in the Court of Nightmares, which is the really scary place that Amarantha thought was all of the Night Court that everybody thinks is all of the Night Court. But she left and now she's in the Court of Dreams, which is the court that they're making. Yes. And then Amarin's there. Yes. Uh, Uh, She's scary as hell. And yet kind of hot. And girls got power. Yep. Really hot. So it's a lot, but it's also not. That's what it boils down to. Oh, also that the Illyrians are like really crass, brutal. Barbaric. Barbaric people. You don't want to fuck with them. No. You don't want to fight them. You don't want to 1v1 them. And if you're going into battle, you you probably want them with you, honestly. Yeah. But you don't want to be a woman in an Illyrian. No. Yeah. So just a bunch of information. Uh, oh, side note, the war starting. You know, the war that Tamlin refuses to accept is ever going to be a thing. Yeah. Oh, the one that's not happening. I want to circle back to something because I realized while editing a while back that I never addressed. Mm-hmm. Not even in this episode or chapters. I'm so sorry, listeners. Previously, Tamlin had been saying that he didn't want Feyre to learn to wield or use powers because he didn't want to give his enemies like Highburn reason to be mad. Right. And yet he's over here like, well, we're not going to war with Highburn. So why would you consider them enemies if you're not going to be in war with them? And yet they're enemies? Oh. Right? Like, I didn't pick up on that. You see, every time we read this, we've realized more and more. You can never not find more things. Oh, I've learned so much more about Miss... Honest to God, I ran through these books so quick. Right. That there were so many little things that I missed. Mm -hmm. And now that we're reading them back, I'm like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Yeah. So yes, while some of our listeners are reading this for the first time, which if you honestly read this book with us, I am so proud of you. Thank you. Others have are doing rereads or at least listening through the summaries each week. And I feel like there's so much more information we're getting that previously would have just gone right on by. My favorite thing is when we get like listeners that like send us their thoughts on all this. We get some really kind messages about people liking the podcast and... Then we also get like quite a bit of messages about people with their own thoughts and their own theories and opinions. And I love it. I love getting someone else's perspective and thought on something that I wouldn't have come up with before. So would never have thought of. Please keep sending that. Yeah. 
there's so many different ways to interpret all of this. I mean, you've heard us. We don't always agree on everything. So there's just a lot. I feel like it'd be boring if we did, really. I think it'd be so boring if we the same thoughts every day. It really would. There wouldn't be a lot to discuss, would there? <laughs> Is there anything of importance that you think that we need to know? I was shocked at just how quickly Pharaoh was like, yeah, I'll work with you. And I was like, whoa, what the fuck, Pharaoh? Like months, she was like, no, no, I don't want to hear about it. No, I don't even talk to me about it. And then one night, of being vomited on. I would have been like, I need at least 24 hours to, to digest all of this. Info dumping. It's trauma dumping. It is. I was like, I need to digest literally everything. Give me like a, a day to think about everything I just heard. Not like, yep, sold. Let's go. Like, like that was insane. How quickly she just flipped and, and agreed. I felt like that, which I get as from a writing perspective, you're ready to move on to the next plot point. You're pushing the story along. I get it. But as the character, I'm like, whoa, hey, hey now, you, you are barely able to get out of bed and very super numb and just like, oh, whatever if I die, which kind of scares me because she's like, I should be afraid of what I'm about to walk into with this prison. She's like, but I'm not. And I'm like, that's no, I feel well, like you need to be <laughs> on edge. I feel like maybe that's also a trauma response. I think like so. She's just feeling a little numb because she doesn't know what to feel. So do you think she agreed and like is going along with it because she's just like, I just, sure, yeah, well, who cares? Thousand percent. Okay. So much has happened in such a short period of time. She's got to just be done. Yeah. Her whole body has to be done. And so she's like, I <sighs> don't feel anything because I don't know what to feel, if that makes sense. It does. It really does. I feel like I need time to digest. We read the chapter. We wrote these summaries. We've had time and I still need more time to digest all of the information they piled onto us in this chapter. It does go very quickly. Yes. Because it goes from, I'm not working with them, to uh, maybe working getting to know them would be kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, probably better with them than against them on a hybrid. To, I'm working with them. To, when this is all within 30 pages. Oh, uh, war's happening and we start tomorrow. <laughs> Am I the only one that thinks that's a little, a little much? A lot. A little, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked Amran though, where she was like, and basically what's your deal? And Amran's like, you know, Reese asked if I wanted to be his, <laughs> his other person. and Nobody asked before, so I I was just like, you know what? Yeah, why the fuck not? <laughs> we got so much information from everybody and Amron's like, I, yeah, you know what? I just figured. Oh, you say everybody. We didn't get jack shit from Mr. S. No, no, we didn't. Mr. I have burns for hands and that made me sad. He gave us some glares. We felt stared down a little bit, a little bit watched. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sexy glares. When people say Ezreal's their favorite, I kind of always like, do you have? deep-seated trauma issues that you want to fix other people like is, is that <laughs> what we're dealing with and I, I feel that exact same way now I go oh the man's got uh, issues look don't get me wrong I have a deep love deep love for Asriel but Cassian when it comes to like choosing between Cassian and Asriel even his jokes so far are just funnier Cassian has always been my top choice I've always been a team Cassian girl as a team Cassian girl I got blessed because obviously we are nowhere near it but Silver Flames when we get to it eventually <laughs> is a very heavily focused on Cassian book it's a good book y'all <laughs> Some people don't like it and I love it. I didn't have to wait. Meanwhile, the team Azriel girls, 
they're still waiting to get more information. They're a uh, struggle bussin'. It hurts. I sympathize for our Azrael listeners. Can't empathize, but I sympathize. I do. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, and anyone who else reads this other than the all humans, all the all the beings. Well, there was a lot of info that's there. I think we addressed it all. God, I hope so. I think we will learn more about it later. <laughs> I don't think there's anything we can add to. All right, y'all ready for our star of the week? Yeah. Technically, it is many stars of the week. If you're still with us, thank you, guys. We have seven. Yeah, there's technically there's seven stars of the week. Seven for the price of one, okay. I'm going to list them individually, like their usernames in the description. I'm not going to read out all of their description names because that would be um, a lot. And I have dyslexia and Lord knows I wouldn't do it correctly. So please. And our eyes already hurt from these summaries. So. Correct. So please um, go to the description so you can actually see. They're the book tour gals. Here's their bio. It's at book tour gals on Insta. It says, hello, everyone. We are the book tour gals, an all woman book tour company and the first with fixed hosts. There are seven of us. Thais, Kiara, Maria, Vanessa, Shelby, Candice, and Tati. If I pronounce any of those names wrong, I am severely sorry and you can yell at me. Okay. We are all very different in our stories, backgrounds, and coming from different places of the world, but we are bonded by friendship and mutual love of fantasy and romance. The decision to band together and create this team was a vision born from the goal we shared, putting our audience in the service of authors and giving the right value to the time and quality that goes behind a bookstagrammer's content creation. With over three years of experience, experience as a company and even more as individual content creators, we offer authors boutique tailor-made tours to fit any budget and put our experience in service of helping authors reach their target audience no matter where they are in their publishing journey. We specialize in fantasy, romancy, paranormal, and romance of all age groups, but are open to other genres too. To learn more about us, visit our website booktourgals.com or find us on Instagram at booktourgals. So I know we have a couple authors We've featured a couple authors as stars of the week. We've actually got quite a few authors just as listeners. So if you're looking for a book tour, please go to Book Tour Gals. If I ever write a book, that's where I'm going. Calling all dreamers. We want to hear from you. Send us an email to a court of thorns and podcasts at gmail.com and tell us everything. Especially if you've ever fallen asleep in class, give us all the details, please. We love this stuff. Yes, please. If you like us at all, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify to help us find more of our bookish friends. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered. We will see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win. Thank you for hearing me from the dark. Listening from the fight. Makes me taking all my feelings. You in my head, you in my heart. I'm never in the dark. She was premature, and we were very blessed, very lucky that we don't have to face any health issues she's in tip-top shape yet yeah don't put that out there oh my god (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) what the (laughs) fuck